Arise, shine, for thy light has come. It is the epiphany. And we probably as Christians should be as bold as saying, Merry Christmas, as we should be saying, I don't know, Happy Epiphany, Merry Epiphany. We've got to come up with something here, folks. And I say that in all positiveness because the days are getting longer. And the message from all of the readings and even the trappings of church tradition are about the light of Christ coming. There's hope. And I love that we get this message this time of the year in the bleak midwinter when we're stuck inside because it's cold and we don't know if we can go to where we need to go even to get the groceries, especially over the last few weeks. I felt like I was back in Sault Ste. Marie, but we're here and the light of Christ indeed shines. So that, that message of light, I don't want us to lose focus of here at all today. And to do that, to demonstrate that, I have a picture of a lovely lighthouse up here. Lovely lighthouse. This is a real lighthouse. And I can say that because, well, hey, that used to be my home. I lived in a lighthouse for a couple years. My first gig as a teacher on Beaver Island. I've shared that with a few people. I lived on Beaver Island, not a place you want to be from right now. If you can even get to it, in the rugged part of northern Lake Michigan, I think the ferry is shut down for the season. You might get in by plane. We took students from all different parts of that quadrant of the northern part of lower peninsula Michigan and tried to somehow make them want to learn again. Kids next door to juvie, kids next door to truancy officers, kids are struggling to find meaning. And we put them in and around a lighthouse with some hopeful idea that we could change them. We were very, very hopeful. And I share this image for, for two different reasons. One, because a lot of people like lighthouses. They do. If I went to some of your homes, I might see a print of one up somewhere. And let me be honest with you. A lighthouse, yeah, we like to think it looks like that from a distance or maybe this from a different angle. I got to go back a few years ago and take pictures of it again as a bit of a homecoming. But if you get up closer to a lighthouse, it's not really all that pretty at all. In fact, you know, it's kind of creepy You go to the top, you look down, you get that sense of vertigo, like in that Alfred Hitchcock movie. The masonry is usually crumbling and all of that. And this began to operate as a school because it fell into disrepair. And the state of Michigan sold it to the Charlevoix Public School District for one whopping dollar in the hopes that the school district would repair it, which they did. Beautiful place requires a tremendous amount of upkeep to keep it going and to get the news out and to get the message out. So I share that message very, very intentionally. This whole idea of light, of light. Another thing is a takeaway from a lighthouse is this thing right here. This isn't from that lighthouse. The light thingy there was a bit smaller. For those of you that are experts in all things nautical, that's called a Fresnel lens or glass. It's French. It looks like it's pronounced Fresnel, Fresnel. And the beauty of these things is the development of human technology long before our digital age it was able to concentrate a beam of light out. Humans, we've been trying to harness light for centuries to do all sorts of good things with it, but yet even modern astrophysics has yet to really determine what is light? What is light? We like it this time of the year, but what causes it? And there are all sorts of bonker theories out there. Some of them are interesting. Some are entertaining. There's dark matter even. But what is light? 
It remains a mystery. But that's the physical side of light. I think the idea of a light, like a lighthouse in the sense of we're trying to give light to people, whether students or to us, to enlighten us, that isn't mysterious at all. And I want us to hold on to that image of light, not as a mystery, but as something indeed hopeful, something that brings about change. So that's my one big image metaphor for today for us to remember light. We need that this time of the year. The second one is taken from one of those gifts that the three wise men, I remember doing a play once in a church, it was called the three wise guys, and I heard people in the narthex joking, should we call them Larry, Daryl, and Daryl, or Larry, Moe, and Curly? And by tradition, they have names of what? Melchior, Melchior, Caspar, and, oh, come on, Trinity, Balthazar. Well, that's by tradition, their names. Whatever they actually were in some traditions even assigned 12 because there were three gifts, not necessarily three kings listed in Scripture. Um, The third gift I want to bring out is the other image, or rather, smell. (laughs) Smell. Okay, myrrh. What is myrrh? It's a bit like frankincense. It's tree sap, resin. You can use it like incense. But in the Old Testament times, it was used as something more equivocal to holy bleach, (laughs) which this time of the year, if you've had flu or strep throat go through your house, yeah, you need lots of bleach. Myrrh served a very definite purpose, a practical purpose, a purpose for keeping the temple distinct. The word, as many of us know, goes back to an ancient Hebrew term for bitter, And then that sense of bitterness, not necessarily unpleasant, but strong, piercing. You can't miss it. Distinctive. Knocks everything else out of the air. So I want us to hold that other image, or rather here, sense of smell up. And as I think most of us know, the sense of smell is the strongest sense to recall memory. Not vision, not even our taste for music, but smell It takes us back to places, and I can remember being in the lighthouse and remembering, oh, there's a distinctive lighthouse smell, too. Oh, all those smells of light and how they come back to us. I want to come back all the way to the very basic message of the epiphany here for a moment, because I want to be clear on this. The light is clear, no mystery, and the sense of smell is piercing. And I bring these two images together because the very essence of the epiphany is that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our Savior. We can't dodge that. This message is crystal for us today. The Lord God who created and who has acted in history is now here in the flesh. And not just for some, but the possibility of all faithful people that this truth is real Jesus is as real as the brightness of the sun, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And that this light is most profoundly made real and not abstract, not a theory, not a speculation, but as something concrete and the very basic expression of forgiveness. Of forgiveness. Now, Epiphany, in the eyes of the church, has developed from this basic idea to be flushed out in Scripture, and the tradition of the church has added a lot of things to it, this whole idea of light and all the different trappings, some of which we see down there in our 
little manger scene that's about to disappear in a week. But one of the earliest Christian festivals is the Epiphany. It is uh, up there with two other great feasts. And I say that because we often think of Christmas as being one of the early central feasts of the church. Christmas came later than the Epiphany, from what we can tell of church records. In fact, the three early celebrations of the church, obviously Easter, or the Christian Passover, Pentecost, and the Epiphany. And what makes the Epiphany unique is there isn't a Jewish antecedent for this. There's a Jewish Passover, there's a Jewish Pentecost feast, but the Epiphany is very distinctively Christian and very, very much something that our tradition in the West, at least anyway, celebrates with the coming of the wise men, the Magi. And we might have other things wrapped around it. And the tradition I came out of, there used to be Twelfth Night parties where people would go out and have all sorts of revelries and there'd be lots of food and drinking that was associated with the Epiphany, which I won't get into. The singing of carols, house blessings. You put little chalk signs on your door to say this house is blessed by God. There were a lot of neat traditions, some of which might be worth revisiting and some, well, it's the bleak midwinter. But the Epiphany was always a time in the history of the church to make the presence of Christ known and to make Mary in the process as well. But if we peel off all the tradition and go back to the heart of Scripture itself, there are two basic themes that we can peel out of our readings today. And the one is the obvious one, which I already mentioned about what this day is all about, making Christ presence known. The epiphany itself means awareness, revelation, manifestation of who Jesus is, the one born in Bethlehem. And we see this in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah anticipates many things, even the image of camels that we include in our nativity sets. Of course, the star of Bethlehem is the light that would guide later. And of course, we hear the possible hope given not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, the Gentiles as well. Paul plays this out and specifically links this hope to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and not as some type of political power or a king, but rather through Christ's grace. Again, this hope of forgiveness given to us. And then in the gospel, the message comes absolutely crystal clear through why the Magi came in the first place, to give praise and adoration to who Jesus is, fulfilling all of these prophecies. And of course, the contrast to all of it, the shadow lurking in the corners, the the figure of King Herod, and all that he represents as a liar, a cheat, a megalomaniac, who even, as we heard the previous week, destroys families, even those of his own nation. So that's the basic theme. The second theme, which we also need to lift up, especially as church, especially as Trinity, is the fact that we're supposed to go out with that light. We're not supposed to hide it. Or as Jesus would say later in Matthew's Gospel, cover it up in a bushel basket. The light is supposed to shine out, and we as the church should go bring it forth, that we should follow the light every day, and that we are a people on a mission, on a mission. Here's an image of our typical association of the epiphany, of the wise men coming forward. This is a famous painting by Albrecht Dürer, 
good German, good proto-Lutheran who wanted to capture the humanity of this moment. But in the distance, we see figures of those who have already heard and are going out. This day celebrates not just people coming forward, but people spreading the message, the light outward. Already in the Old Testament, Isaiah is expanding this missionary charge to the hope for all nations, what we'd read as the Gentiles, that they shall walk by light on a pilgrimage to give worship to the heavenly Jerusalem. What I do find interesting about this passage from Isaiah is they talk about only two gifts we associate with this day, gold and frankincense, kingly gifts. Where's myrrh? Come back to that. We'll come back to that. Isaiah also talks that this light is inclusive, not based on one's nationality or ethnicity, that God's people are to be faithfully universal. Or more bluntly, it doesn't matter where we come from. It does matter where we're going. That's an important part of Isaiah's message for the Epiphany, one that we should not lose hope of today, whether we go out in caravans of camels or we go out, hopefully, in four-wheel drive. Then, of course, the Ephesians readings of Paul. Paul's literally living this out. He's sending the light forward out as a missionary charge, part of who he is in his vocation, from Jerusalem to Ephesus, signifying the light of Christ is for the world, Gentiles as co-heirs of the same body. And then, of course, the gospel reading, the Magi themselves, spreading this out from the east, going back, as some sources say, by tradition, to the east, to evangelize. All this action, all this movement, motivated by the light. What is apparent in these readings is that the awareness of Jesus, the true king and true savior, the one foretold, it moves people, moves people from Paul to shepherds, to wise men, to even the family themselves, Mary and Joseph. The light of Christ isn't some mystery or some theory. It's active. It's true. It changes lives. So what about today? What about here? Hmm. Well, two simple takeaways. The first and more obvious one, meaning the one we're most likely to neglect, is what not to do. And that's to fall into the trap of Herod. Oh, Herod. We often think of Herod as this king thus removed from everybody, but the the trap of Herod is something I think we all can fall into, regardless of what we do for living. And a few things that we know about of King Herod, both from Scripture and history, is that He was titled King Herod the Great because he did indeed do great things, lofty things. He created a new dynasty, a new aristocracy. He brought a sense of identity and stability to his people, keeping peace and yet a distinctive sense of who the Jewish nation was as opposed to the Romans. He famously invested in architecture, creating some monuments still standing, practical aqueducts and walls to palace fortifications, even rebuilding and restoring parts of the second temple. He even built towers that may have served as lighthouses. I used to dig into biblical archaeology from time to time, and uh, what you see before you, I believe it's pronounced the Macraeus, it is a fortification with a couple towers perched upon it that we believe was put up under King Herod the Great to serve a practical purpose 
to help people on their ways from both a pathway that you might, well, you probably can't see below it, below that cliff. And then beyond that cliff, you see a body of water, which I find very symbolic because the body of water is the Dead Sea. It says something about maybe where Herod will go with all of this. But Herod did good things, but he was also a tyrant. And history lives up to what we hear from Scripture as well and, and strengthens this image of all the things that he did great, but all the things that he did wrong. He was a torturer. He was shrewd and relentless. And uh, he did things his way. The trap of Herod is, in essence, we think we're the light. We're the ones that can become mysterious or sound clever or profound or inaccessible for no great purpose other than self-motivation, that we're somehow above the light of even forgiveness itself. This includes building great things or doing good works. Hey, it's been told even the devil can do good things, but for devastating ends. That becomes the trap of Herod. No doubt he thought he was doing good things by sending out the magi in deceit to spy out and betray what the star of Bethlehem truly represented. And then himself becoming a law unto himself, condemned under God's law and blinded by the light of God's grace. The epiphany reminds us of why we're sent out in the first place to make Christ known. That's what comes first. And if we forget that, all the triumphs, all the deeds, all the, all the things we, we hope to accomplish and perhaps have, they, they, fall, they fall short. They fall short because we're called to make Christ known and to reflect the light, not to substitute the light. Hmm. So that's the one takeaway. The other takeaway I want to share this morning is the one that takes us to the Magi, Magi themselves. And as we heard over Christmas and last week with the celebration of the Holy Family, God saves through Jesus. Yeah, we get that part. But it's also how through Jesus, born of human flesh, an infant, raised in a lowly family, great humility. And we love that image. I think most of us take that to heart. As observed, Isaiah prophesizes the bit about gold and frankincense, but again, I come back to, wait, what about myrrh? We only hear that in the gospel. Why myrrh? The sense of smell returns to us here. Myrrh also signified kingship, but in a very different way. Bitter myrrh also represents the reality of kingship, alongside the reality of human suffering. From a sending out missionary perspective, this means we can't avoid it. Suffering is also part of going out with the light. Christ suffered. Disciples knew of suffering. And we can't hide from it too. Even if we think we're following the light, suffering is a part of that same path. Myrrh also appears in the Gospels as well. But later on, Jesus drinks of it, the cup, as he is on the cross, myrrh mixed with wine. It's also found in the very wrappings of what Jesus is wrapped up around as he is laid in the tomb. And the thought was myrrh was so strong of a smell, it would even overcome the stench of decay that myrrh somehow 
cleanses everything. But through Christ, perhaps we can take this image of myrrh, the smell of myrrh, and say it is something through Christ that Christ Himself cleanses all of our sins. The reminder here is that the greatest revelation, the awareness, the sign of true glory is not at the nativity. As much as we love that image or His baptism, which we'll hear about in a week, or even His transfiguration and all the glory or all the wonderful deeds and healings, the truest sign of the light of Christ is right here, the cross. The cross is the ultimate beacon, this true, this true lighthouse for us of what it means to follow the path of Christ, where true glory is to always be found and manifested, and where our forgiveness is ultimately made known. When we go out to follow the light in mission, may we never forget this. The myrrh, the light, the star of the cross, this is the truth of epiphany. And to close, very briefly, I have to throw up this image. I had a little bit of time this week and decided I would mess around with Trinity. (laughs) This, this kind of trinity. It's a night pose of the church I found. I tried to mess with it with some impressionistic visual aids on my MacBook. It didn't really come out quite like what I wanted to. I thought it was striking. The idea of our church giving off light in the darkness. I come back to the message of trinity of how do we live that out? And as I was messing with this while my, one of my kids next door was hacking out from strep throat and going, oh, not strep throat again. And then I was reading about somewhere about what Trinity was doing at that moment, going out to CCS and doing some great things in our community, realizing, hey, the light is shining in the darkness. We indeed have done and will continue to do good things here at Trinity and beyond for our community. And I pray that this year of faith, as it continues, we may continue to seek out those ways, but also not forget that at the end of the day, to make Christ known. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.